saw a sign this week said, uh, you know you're old when you say, if I just get through this week, it'll slow down. And he said, you will say that until the day you die. And I can relate. I can relate with that. It is busy life. Please find your way in God's precious word, Romans chapter 13, as we continue our walk. We'll make it to verse 8, start in verse 8 today. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice for God? How do we think? How do we act? How do we live like God has called us to live in a world that denies God? We learned last week that doing good is a good way to start, right? We all know that eating salad is a good reminder of how we are to live. Everybody remember, let us, let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So even though life is tough, even though we're busy, we do not grow weary. Here's a thought that should keep us going. I read Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if Christ could grow weary of me, he would have been tired of me a long time ago. That should keep us going. We are not to grow weary doing good. We know in our hearts it is the right thing to do. Now, everyone has a sense of right and wrong, but we as Christians have a better educated conscience, as we learned last week, when it comes to knowing the difference between right and wrong. Why? Well, because we not only do we have a well-educated conscience, but even better, we have the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit, we are able to be set apart from the world. God, through the Apostle Paul, has given us a lot of a meat to chew on here uh, in Romans uh, on what sets a believers apart from the world. And we see that when one becomes a child of God, things change. A lot of stuff changes. The dross, the, the stuff that is not pure begins to rise to the top. And then that scum is extracted and thrown away. God begins shaping us. And in that process, we begin to look more and more like Christ as we grow in our walking, as we mature in our faith, we become more and more like Christ. Doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Is it easy? By no means. Is it a blessing? Absolutely. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is God has sent his Holy Spirit to come along beside us, to help us, to give us the power to do what he has called us to do. God didn't just throw us in the water and say, sink or swim. He didn't do that. Out of his love, he sent the Holy Spirit. And that should give us comfort. And that should give us comfort in every area of our lives. You know, he isn't just with us over here. He isn't just with us when we come to church on Sunday. No, he is with us in the peaks. He is with us in the valleys. That should bring us comfort. The Holy Spirit does many things in the lives of, of the believer. He is our helper. He indwells in our hearts. He seals us until the day of redemption. Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit guards and guarantees the salvation of the ones he indwells. The Holy Spirit assists us in our prayer life. Thank God for that. He intercedes for God's people in accordance for the will of God. With the will of God. The Holy Spirit regenerates and renews the believer do you did you know that you've been baptized by the holy spirit 
the word tells us that the spirit baptizes the children of God into the body of Christ, Romans 6, 3. We received a new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's a big one. The spirit comforts us with fellowship and joy as we go through a hostile world. First Thessalonians and second Corinthians. We are not alone. We are not ever alone. Sometimes it may feel like it, but we are not alone. God said what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. The spirit is doing a work on us daily, hourly, and by the minute. Never discount it. He is part of the sanctification process. It is the spirit in us that helps us to battle the desires of the flesh. It is the spirit that points us to righteousness. The more we choose righteousness, the more we look like Christ. This, this is what happens when it, when it happens. The works of the flesh become less evident, evident and the fruit of the spirit becomes more evident. That's what happens as we choose righteousness. And the world will see our good works and God will be glorified. Ephesians 5.18, listen, commands us to be filled with the spirit. Which means that we are to yield ourselves to the spirit's full control daily. We are to be sensitive to the spirit and not quench it. Listen to how Peter addresses the children of God in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, to those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The sanctifying work of the Spirit of God is in the heart of a believer. It is a work unto obedience. That's the process of sanctification. The spirit of God produces an obedient heart. I bring this up because this, this whole section here in Romans, as Chris is a witness to, <laughs> this, this, this whole section is a call to obedience. God is saying, I have given you the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is with you. Now with that power, that you have, present yourself as living sacrifices. And then he goes on and says, and here, here is how you are to live. This is what sets you apart. Now, go therefore and be obedient to my word. Paul speaks of this obedience in Philippians 2.12. He gives a call of obedience. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not so, not only at my as in my presence but much more in my absence see that's a call of obedience kind of the same call we give our kids not only in my presence but also in my absence be obedient amen he continues he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or, dis, or disputing, that, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Just like here in Rome. 
It's a call to be obedient. It is a call. We are called to have a lifestyle of obedience. And by doing so, by doing what God has taught us to do, we are set apart from the world and we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Paul closes Romans by telling the believers, your obedience is known to all. So he closed this letter. Your obedience is known to all. That's a challenge to all the people who profess their faith in Jesus Christ. Our obedience to do what God has called us to do should be known to all. Now, does that mean that we have this perfect obedience to the word? No. No, it doesn't. But what it does mean is that we have a heart that longs to obey. We have a heart's desire to obey. A heart filled with the Spirit is a heart that longs to obey God. A heart filled with the Spirit is a changed heart because the, because the Spirit changes the way we think. The Spirit changes the way we act. And the Spirit in His mighty power fills the believer with, listen to this, all joy and peace. And as we trust in the Lord in all areas of our lives, Listen to what happens. Romans 15, 13 says this. We'll get to this soon. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's that, that's that no-so hope that we preach about all the time. That's that living hope that fills our hearts, that fills the hearts of the children of God. In the best of times, we have hope. In the toughest of times, we have hope. We are set apart by the Spirit because we have hope in the darkest hours. Amen. So with our hearts full of, a, of living hope by the Spirit, let's pick up where we left off, left off last week in Romans 13, starting verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subject, subjection, I said subject every time last week. Y'all didn't even, y'all just nodded along. Thank you. Thank you. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only, wait, hold on. I also had a piece of toilet paper hanging on my lens over here. Nobody said anything. Don't go back and look, okay? Thank you. I love you guys. I do. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Important line there. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So as believers, we are in subjection to the leaders that God has put in place. We are commanded to submit to them. We are commanded to pay our taxes. It is for the good of society, God says. And then Paul says this. He says, we are to give respect and honor to whom it is owed. So not only... Do we respect the office? Because we did, we hear that a lot of times. Well, that, I, don't, I don't like that guy. I respect the office, though. And I'll tell you, I'm that holy. I respect the office. It, it's not only do we respect the office, but what, but what Paul is saying, is he's saying that as Christians, 
Christians should have a respectful attitude to those in high places. No matter how much we disagree, we are to respect and honor. That's a tough one. There have been some leaders in my lifetime that I'd say I've had a tough time respecting, much less honoring, you know. That's what God tells us to do. Y'all know what Chris was thinking this morning as he heard that. But what did God tell him to do? Pray. Pray. That's what God tells us to do. This is the mark of a Christian. These are the acts that sets believers apart. I love this. An anonymous second century Christian wrote this about the life of a Christian on this earth. It really puts in perspective our lives on this earth and how we are to live and who we are in Christ and what sets us apart. He says this about Christians. He says this. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet their very dishonor are, their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hate. Kind of sums it up, doesn't it? You remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.15? For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should what? Put silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we continue to, to do good all the time. If you ask the haters, why do you hate the Christians? They really can't come up with a reason. They really can't. We silence them by doing good. Peter continued, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's as if Paul and Peter were led by the same Holy Spirit. Just me to cop that. So we give honor where honor is due. And the question is, you know, why do we honor them? Why do we do that? Don't forget what the scriptures say. We honor them. Why? Because they are servants of God. Now, do some of these leaders know that they are servants of God? Probably not. Probably not. But God says they are. 
We could say, well, they don't always do what is right. Yep, that's true. But it does not change the fact that they are servants of God. Therefore, we pray for them. Therefore, we honor them. And that's why we pay what is owed to whom what is owed. They are ministers of God. And let me say this, what, what this call to obedience does to us, it exposes our attitude. You know, as we go through this in Romans, it exposes our attitudes. When we, when we study the word, when, when the word challenges us, you know, we, we think this way and the word says, no, you, you think like this now. We're like, well, I don't know. But it really makes us examine our attitude. Bodie Bauckham had a saying back in the day about raising his children. He said, do what you're told when you're told with a proper attitude. I feel like God is saying that to me all the time. I'm like, I don't want to submit. I don't want to give respect. I don't want to give honor to that person. And God says, Robert, because when he's serious, he uses your full name. He says, Robert, do what you were told when you are told. With a proper attitude, because I love you. Because I love you. So our duty as a citizen of our country is to pray, submit, honor, and pay what is owed with a proper attitude. And by doing this, not only are we obeying God, but we are putting our trust in God. Good spot for self-examination, right? Do we really trust God for everything? Do we really do that? Do we do what we are told when we are told with a proper attitude? Do we really do that? We should because God loves us. God loves us once what is best for us. God loves us enough that he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. Moving on, verse 8 here in Romans. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in, the, in this, this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Verse 8. Owe no one anything. In other words, if you owe something, pay the bill. Some have, some have interpreted this text to mean that a Christian should never borrow money or be in debt. But neither the Old Testament or the New, nor the New Testament forbids borrowing or lending. We could look at the Mosaic Law and it says, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. So lending and borrowing was permitted proverbs 19 proverbs 19 17 says this he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the lord and he will repay him for his good deeds you know the proverb doesn't mention if the poor man will ever pay him back but he tells the lender that you know he'll be repaid by the lord in the sermon on the mount remember what jesus said give to him who asks and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you, Matthew 5.42. So looking at the, the whole counsel of God, lending and borrowing is not prohibited. You're allowed to do that. 
But what the word does say here, it says, pay your debt. If you owe something, pay it. We as believers are to be responsible and make payments that are due and not borrow beyond our ability to pay. Our reputation as followers of Christ for paying back our loans should be so good that when we fill out a credit app, we should just have to put down, I am a follower of Jesus. And it's a good, you're good to go. The money's yours. The money's yours. I trust you. That's how good we should be at paying back our loans. Pay what we owe. Now, there is one debt that we will never pay off no matter how much we pay. <clears throat> we have one debt that will never be paid in full. Owe no one anything except, except to love each other. Love is a debt. Good question is, why is love for others called a debt? And the answer is obvious. We are permanently in debt to Christ for the love he has poured out on us. And the word says that the only way we can even begin to repay this debt is by loving others. You see, the love that Jesus has lavished on us will always be infinitely greater than ours. That's something to think about. That's something to ponder. That's something to get your mind around. You know, that Jesus's love will always be infinitely greater than ours. His love is greater than ours. Infinitely greater. And because of his infinite love, we, recipients of that love, will always be obligated to love our neighbors. We will always be obligated to love our neighbors. We are forever indebted to Christ. If there is one thing that God's children should never fall short of, that would be living out God's love by giving it to others. We should never fall short of loving whoever God puts in our path. Not ever, not ever, not ever. We have the power. We know who love is. We know that he has poured out his love on us. We should never deny any love to anyone. And when we love, we got to make sure we have the right what? Attitude. Got to have the right attitude. We can't whine and say, I can't love my enemies. You know, I can't do that. You know, I only have so much love and, and I give that love to the people who are easy to love. I don't have that other love. Can't do that. God says, get your attitude right. Romans 5 tells us the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, meaning we have been given the capability to love others no matter who they are. We have been given the capability and capacity to love everyone, even our enemies. We can do it. God would not give us a command that we could not do. He wouldn't give us something that we can't do. God always equips his children to do what he has commanded us to do. He has given us the Holy Spirit, like we saw earlier, so we can love. Galatians 5.22, everyone knows this. The fruit of the Spirit is what? That means that we have the power to do what God has commanded us to do. We can't say, oh, that's too hard. I can't do it. We don't have that. 
We don't have no, no list of excuses. What, what did Jesus say in, in John 13, 34? A new commandment. Yeah, this is what he said. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. How did he say to love? Listen to what he says. Just as I have loved you. That's how you love others. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do what you're told, when you're told, with the proper attitude, because Jesus loves you. He loved us first. Ephesians 5.1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. How do we do that? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, last week we talked about good works. Everybody knows their salad and lettuce. We got that. And, and, and we are to do good works, right? Good works glorify God. Yes, they do. But know this. Love is the foundation of our good works. Love is the foundation for this entire section of Romans. Without love, we're clanging symbols. I know that has to do with But we're, we're clanging symbols without love. Love is what makes our relationship with each other right. You see, if we go back to chapter 12, we see that our relationship with God is right because of love. We need to, we need to love to have a right relationship to the church, it says. It takes love to have a right relationship to everybody else. We saw that in verses 9 through 21. We are commanded to have a right relationship to the government. And today we see that we have a right relationship with society, society in general. And that all happens through love. Love has a lot to do with it. If anybody's asking. Love affects everything. How we're related to God, to the world around us to the church body, to everyone in general, to the government, and to society. And it doesn't stop there. When we get to chapter 14, we'll see that our love affects our relationship with the weaker brother. Love keeps rolling. This whole section is an outflowing of our right relationships that come from a redeemed soul, a soul that is full of the spirit, a soul that is called to obedience, a soul that is ready to pour out love on others. Just think about this for a moment. Just imagine, if you can only imagine, what a difference we would make in this world if we did what Jesus commanded us to do every day all day. That's how we make a difference. That's how we let our light shine. That's how we let the world know who we are. Jesus said, they will know you by the love you have for one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It is love that sets us apart. You know, the reason Jesus said, this is not natural for the world to be known by your love that sets you apart. But Jesus said, they will know you by the love that you have for one another. 
They will not know us by what kind of car we drive because millions have nice, fancy cars. That's no big deal. But rather, they will know us by how many rides we gave to someone who needed a lift. The world will not know us by the clothes we have in our closets. Fashions come and go and they change all the time. But they will know us by how many people we clothe. They will not know us by how big our bank account, how big a bank account we have, but they will know us by how we met the needs of others. They will not know us by what church we went to, but they will know us by the love we have shown to the world. That's how they will know us. Love is what sets us apart, amen? Not the riches of this world. Don't be caught up in that stuff. We have to go in love. Paul says that it is love that distinctive, distinctively marks a Christian. And that is a mark we all should be able to display. It's a go, go show love to the world. And he goes on. Paul says this, though. He says that love fulfills the law. Well, that, that got my mind working. Love fulfills the law. Look at our text again. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what is Paul saying? Is he telling me that if I love properly, if I love others, I have fulfilled the law? Does this, does this one law of love really fulfill all the other laws? Paul sums up the laws of God in one law, the law of love. He says this is one law, this one law fulfills all the other laws. What he says here, he says, all the Ten Commandments, and he names four of the ten. And then he, he adds one more. He said, loving yourself, that's, that's a commandment. All of those commandments are fulfilled in what James calls the royal law of liberty. That is the law of love. They're fulfilled in the law of love. Jesus said the same thing that Paul is saying. Jesus said that love is the fulfilling of the law. He did it in two statements, though. But all of it is about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. In those two commandments, we have all the law and the prophets together. We sometimes gloss over those two commandments from Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus and I love my neighbor. You know, but, but take a moment and think about how love really works. How does it do that? The law says, thou shalt not kill. Now, if I love someone... I don't need somebody to remind me not to kill him, right? Love takes over. The law says, thou shalt not steal. I'm not going to take what belongs to someone else if I love that person. I'm not going to take it. Nor am I going to covet what they have if I have love for them. So you see, love does not replace the law. It doesn't do that. We don't say, hey, Throw, throw all that old stuff out. We don't need all that old stuff. We got new stuff. No, 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 no. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, what James is saying, what the scripture is saying, 
Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the way we understand how God's whole law can be fulfilled. Know this, God is looking at the heart, right? He's looking at the heart. He wants this love to come from a spirit-filled heart, not a bunch of outward works coming from a bad heart with a bad attitude seeking to glorify yourself. You know, we remember what Pastor Ryan said about the, 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 uh, the things that God has called him to do to be obedient. He said, you know, you can't do it just checking the box. That's not being a Christian. With that in mind, do you remember what, how Jesus confronted the Pharisee, the Pharisees? They would say, well, we don't commit adultery. We don't kill. We don't steal. We don't covet. But in their hearts, they were doing all of that in their hearts. They were committing adultery in their minds. They were murderous in their thoughts and with hate. And they would steal anything they could steal, even from their parents. And they coveted what they did not have. They were trying to fulfill the law externally. They were trying to do it without love. They were checking the boxes. And by doing it that way, they were not fulfilling the law at all. Not at all. What did Jesus call them? Whitewashed tombs. You're pretty on the outside. Oh, it looks good there. But inside, it's terrible. We need to make sure that our good works are coming from a heart full of love. And that's why the scriptures say the intent. The intent is that you love so that you do not break the law. The keeping of the commandments flow from the heart of love. Here's another way to check our hearts. Do we seek to do good? Do, do we seek to obey God out of love or fear? Think about that. You see, one could be afraid of God's punishment. One could be afraid of God's judgment. And so they obey out of fear. But you don't really fully obey the law because fear is not the basic motive for obedience. The Bible does not say you shall dread the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. No, let's say that. It doesn't work that way. We love the Lord, right? Not dread. Fear will restrain you from some evil. Yes, it does. And its effect can be somewhat productive, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. We are to keep the law, not out of fear only, but out of love. It's kind of like the child-parent relationship. You know, when the child's young, they obey many times out of fear of the consequences of disobeying, right? But as they grow, as they mature, their motive changes. Instead of obeying out of fear, they obey out of love. A relationship is built. And that relationship grows from there. The relationship blossoms from there. All because of love. And this is what God is telling his children. Don't do it out of fear. Don't do this out of fear. Do it out of love. Love the Lord your God. That's how you fulfill the law. Something else I want to point about the law here. Remember back in Romans 8 verse 1. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That is. The law has no power over us. Okay? The law cannot 
execute a penalty over us. And the good news is that frees us up to love. It takes away that fear. We have been made, verse 2 says, free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the law's ability to cause us to be guilty of sin unto death, the word tells us. The word says that from what the law couldn't do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned the sin in the flesh. In other words, because of the sacrifice of Christ, the law can no longer kill us. He died in our place. We are no longer under the law's power and penalty. We have been redeemed, and that frees us to love, and it takes that fear away. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be, listen, fulfilled in us who now walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You see that? We now walk in the spirit that God has given us. We have true love in our hearts because of the spirit and because of the spirit we now have the capacity and ability to fulfill the law so love has a lot to do with it it has a lot to do listen because of love we are free from the law only in the sense of its power to dominate us and condemn us its penalty to sentence us to eternal death we're free from that but we are not free from fulfilling the law. We are still commanded and called to, to a life of obedience to the revealed word of God. We are called to obey what God has said. But we are free from fear. We are able to love. We are able to be obedient out of love. Now, does this mean that every believer that can leave here today and say, all right, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to love, 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 love Bill's law every moment of the day. This is so easy to do. Two commandments, I can do that. No. We still have a battle. We're still a battle. You see, we, we have the power of the Spirit in us, yes. The Spirit of life in us, yes. Romans says that the law enables, enables us to do the will of God, but we also have Romans 7 that says where where we see the flesh, you know, the flesh is still there, and that's where the battle is. You know, in the inner man, we delight in the law of God, but we have another law warring in our members, and that's the principle of sin in our humanness. And so we have this sin principle in our humanness warring against our heart of obedience, and every Christian fights this battle. Every Christian. You know, don't, don't be ashamed if you struggle with something. Come to talk with somebody. There's a battle that goes on in us. Every Christian. Some, some have said it this way, that there's like two dogs fighting in us, and the one that wins is the one we feed the most. And, and I get that. I understand that. You know, garbage in, garbage out. That, that's, that's simple. But, you know, we do have to know what are we feeding? What do we feed? That's important. But the battle's still there. The battle's still there. But here's what we have to know. Here's what we have to know. First John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Listen, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, never discount God. 
never do that. God is greater. Greater is he who is in you than he is in this world. There's power, there's ability, there's capacity to love and to win these battles. Amen. It all comes through Christ. So what do we know about love? Righteous love, true love, love from the spirit is so important. So important that God says that he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. That's how important love is. It is clear that righteous, godly love is much more than just any secondhand emotion. The love we have comes from the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as believers, we always find ways to love. We always find ways to do good to our neighbors, whether they deserve it or not, whether we feel like it or not. So we'll leave with this thought. What we see in this text is that Paul teaches that love is a urgent requirement for all believers. Did, did you get that? Love is not to be withheld for a later date. We can't say, well, I'll love tomorrow. I don't have it in me today. No, we can't do that. It's urgent. We have to make a spirit-filled, educated, conscience decision every day to go and to love. We have to do that. We, we must love and live as if this were our last day on this earth. We must love our neighbors as if it were their last day on earth. Urgent to love. We are called to be obedient. We are, and we do that by loving. So I say, let's give the world something to talk about. Let's talk about love. Amen. That's right.